Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and uh, patrons, uh, friends uh, beyond the binary. Uh, far from Ula to you. Go ahead and spell that and let me know. Far from Ula, patrons. That's the thank you on uh, one, of, one, of the, one of the submoons of Titian, I believe. And let's get on with the show. Hey, all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble staying asleep. Well, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that's here to put you to sleep. We do it with a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights and press play. I'm going to do the rest. Uh, what I'm going to do is try to create a safe place where you could set aside whatever's keeping you awake, whether it's uh, thoughts. Uh, feelings, uh, physical sensations, whatever's keeping you awake, I'd like to, to distract you from that. That's what part one of the safe place is. Uh, I guess part one would be that you're welcome. I'm glad you're here. This place is open to all. And what I'm going to do is uh, the way I try to create a safe place is with a bedtime story, like, uh, well, you know, with a lot of rambling. Like, it starts with, I send my voice across the deep, dark night. I use these lulling, soothing, creaky, dulcet tones. Wings of pointlessness that I glide in a pointless manner. Just like a lot of those birds. You say, what in the heck are those birds doing up there? And then you wonder. And then you probably think, it would be nice to be a bird. And then maybe you think, uh, you know, of any of the bird-related songs. And, like, what are those called? I, I, I do use this in a lot of opening sermals. You say, oh, boy, I would love to have those sermals, you know, because they they always say that's what they're gliding on, the thermals. And the only thermal I have is, like, an old pair of thermal underwear that I can never find when I need it. it like, it, it just when I get back, I say, oh, that's where that thermal underwear was. Also, some reason, even though I don't wear it ever, it has a bunch of holes in it and a lot of piling. Here's this. Okay, let me see. Like, let's try to come back to that piling on clothes. Uh, talk about a miss. Well, I guess maybe not. Uh, I may accuse words of being wrong, word accusations. But, you know, those are the, like, loveliest of accusations. But if you're new here, let me tell you, let me give you a couple of things. The structure of the show Starts off with six minutes of business, cross-promotions, credits. Uh, if you're new, not that important. If you listen regularly, please, uh, when you touch a refrigerator tomorrow, double-check sleepwithmepodcast.com slash sponsors or something, because uh, it's essential uh, to, to bring in you the show. But if you're new, not that important. Uh, then we have an intro, which we just started. About twelve. The intros are about 12 minutes of me rambling, which you can skip. The timestamp's in there. Uh, if you want to get straight to the story, uh, but otherwise, uh, the intros are like some people fall asleep during the intro. Other people get comfortable. Uh, I thought I had, I, I, this was like a talk about it, like having my cognitive dissonance interrupted. I learned today that not everyone's pets love me because usually like I hear from listeners that they use the intro so their pets know it's bedtime, come on in the room, or you're not going to get in bed, so get in your own bed, or start your begging to get in bed and listen to scoots. And I know not all partners love me because I hear from listeners, you know, that are in relationships and partners have, you know, it's complicated to get some oddball talking in your ears. But, you know, once your partner listens a little while, 
they, you know, learn that I'm whatever's below harmless. Uh, like it couldn't, I, I'm so harmless. It couldn't even be the fourth stooge, you know, I'd be like, I'm a waiter in a three stooges movie who just gets pied at once. So I'm pretty harmless. And I make it references that don't make any sense. Uh, but I did learn today that there's a couple pets that howl or stuff. Uh, but again, they could be jealousy, or it could just be misguided, or it could be that they're sensitive to the creaky dulcet tones, because your podcast doesn't work for everybody if you're new here. That's another thing. But it's a friendly attempt to, to, to take your mind off stuff and put you asleep. Uh, so you should know you're under no pressure to listen. And you're under, ironically enough, uh, if that's not one of the most overused phrases, even by me, but like... Uh, other than but like an uh, is uh, you don't you shouldn't feel any pressure to fall asleep. Technically, I'm just going to create a place in an atmosphere where you could be safe and distracted and at ease, so much so that you don't even feel need to stay engaged listening to me, and then you could kind of drift off and fall asleep whenever you feel like it. So, I mean, it's a podcast. How does it work? Like, I, you know, I try to keep you barely entertained. Like that, like that could, like, uh, talk about when clothes, how come there isn't a, like, they say, do they say clothes malfunction? Could I, because I would say the piling on clothes, is that a malfunction or is it just a cosmetic, because uh, I can picture the, 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 like the thermal underwear, long underwear I have, uh, and I think it has a lot of piling on it. I guess in long underwear, does that make a difference? And when did it become piling? I mean, I guess a little, like, is, I guess it's threads that are piled up. It's more like mini balling. Like, like you know, balling up uh, instead of piling. Sweaters do that a lot. I always wonder, like, what the heck's going on? Because most of the time, like, I think the modern, like, uh, you know, once the military-industrial complex, you got a hold of clothes. We don't have to worry about that anymore, really, too much. You know, thank goodness for R&D and uh, for uh, whatever the heck they're just spraying on that stuff. But uh, I don't know. I guess I thought this piling stuff would fill up more time. I mean, if like, I'm more, I got more, sta- but I was wearing a shirt to work today. This is the kind of debate Scoots has, uh, and I talk about stains on my clothes all the time. I had bought three shirts, three uh, shirts that I could wear to work. I have no idea when I bought them. I always think it's like a year ago, but it could have been two years ago. And like uh, one of them, I think all of them have grease stains now somewhere like in the chest area because they've gone home from work and started cooking dinner and then ruined them. And I don't know if this is when you stop caring, but I said to myself today, giant one right in the middle of the shirt, can't miss it. But I said, well, I move around a lot. And I guess I did also say, well, I don't care anymore. Like, uh, I said that the people that that I work, come across at work, they know me well enough that, uh, I mean, I work with the youth. So it's always a matter of like, will it be so distracting of the, for the youth they have to make fun of me? And will it be playful or will it be like, will it get on my nerves? And uh, I just said, well, I don't care. Just like, let's just iron this friggin' shirt and go to work. Uh, Giant grease stain in the middle of it. It's And it was like, what do you call that? Like a light pink color, like somewhere between, like a coral uh, shirt from a discount. One of the big discounters or something. 
And at this point, I'm like, well, I'm not, you know, but yeah, if you if you do see me on the on the outside, uh, there is a good chance I'll have a grease stain on me. And but maybe you won't see it because I also move around a lot. Like I said, I pay, I do some pacing. And like, uh, like, but I guess, is that a sign of personal growth uh, that I don't care anymore? Or is that a good, like, is that a positive sign or a warning sign? Because they did iron the shirt. So that kind of defeats the thing. Well, it's like, I don't care. I care, I cared enough to iron it. And I do, I'm quite a good ironer. Been ironing for a long time because everything I touch turns wrinkly also. Grease stained and wrinkled. So I, you know, I have to iron it just to leave the house, so like, because otherwise they say, well, you're too wrinkly. You can't be out here. And they say, what are you, birds? You, 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 like, uh, no, well, squirrel said, we don't want to fulfill. I said, okay, I'll go inside and iron my shirts. Uh, what was I saying? But I think that's a good sign. The shirt's ironed. It's just a grease stain. It's like a, like, is that a sign of acceptance? I said, well, it's out of my control. There's nothing I can do. I mean, maybe some sort of high-intensity laundry duty, but I would have to remember that. And by the time I do laundry and get to the laundromat, like, I just want to stuff everything in there and be done with it. Um, I think I had a couple more a couple more personal issues I just wanted to interject here. Of like, like Because, uh, you know, the, I, this is the kind of stuff that comes up for me at bedtime. This is what I'm trying to distract you from. It's also not that big a deal. Like, I think it is a sign of growth. Like, I said, well, let the kids make fun of me about my grease stain. I mean, this is who I I think maybe, it, like, uh, I'm, I think I might have just crossed over. I think I may have, like, on an emotional maturity level, I've just become a tween. You, you witnessed it live uh, here in this podcast intro. I've emotionally gotten to tweendom. Because that's like, but maybe that's like a sign that I'll change again and become self-conscious again. Because isn't that like a tween is pre-self-conscious stage? Uh, I guess more metaphorical tween. When we talk about emotional growth, not exactly the same thing as uh, an actual, the actual emotional growth of a tween. Like, if you know what I mean. I think I'm in tween, like, because I think I've crossed over. I've metamorphosized or something, or whatever the heck it is, uh, because up until then, I would have been like, uh, I said, this is who I am. I'm a, I'm a man with stained shirts, uh, like with, with not as a style choice, but as an inevitable occurrence that I must grapple with and accept, uh, but not in a ziggy way. I didn't say, well, the grease has finally defeated me. He said, what, I mean, I used like bigger adult words than tweens should use uh, when I was talking to my shirt when I was ironing it. Also, this podcast is made by a man who converses with his iron and his shirts. Uh, I, I don't name those things. I mean, uh, also, dude, while we're on the topic, I'm not a big fan of my iron. I don't know if my iron can hear it. It's a room and a half away. I greatly just, well, no, I wouldn't say greatly. I, mean, I am disappointed in my iron. Its performance is tolerable. I figured, what, what, like, I got it online. I said, well, $12 iron. Why am I going to spend 40 bucks on a friggin' iron? Now I know. Uh, twelve. If I traveled with an iron, I would keep the $12 iron to travel with. Uh, but it's not a travel iron. It's just a regular ch- cheap iron. 
Sorry, Iron. I didn't mean it's not a reflection. I guess I can't accept my Iron, though, because I have preferences because I'm a tween. I've discovered I have preferences. I'm not my parents' child anymore. I'm grown up. So if you're new here, I mean, you're dealing with a man who has emotional maturity of a tween, which is like, like again, that's a whole new evolutionary stage from 580,000, whatever podcast episodes have done up to this point. I hope you remember this day, because I will not. Uh, the day Scoots became a tween. What was it? Oh, a grease stain that triggered that. He, like, Or, you know, those of you that may be in a professional circuit of listening, you're a professional listener with, a, like, a, a certificate on the wall. You know, you might be seeing there's something waiting for me on the next band. But I don't know. I think, I think the ironing of the shirt counteracts that. Like, ironing a stained shirt, well, I guess that is madness, okay? Some other part of me just interjected. Yeah, and I'd say, I, I'll tell you what, I'm mad, I'm, I have the madness of acceptance, the madness of self-acceptance, and that's a novel. Oh, no, that's a self-help guide. I'll write uh, one day. I'm mad with greasy self-acceptance. You know what I'm saying? No one does. Uh, but if you're new here... That's what you're dealing with. Uh, you know, I'm not a Ph.D., uh, but, uh, you know, that's not what that, you know that, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to take your mind off of stuff, keep you company in the deep, dark night, and create a relationship with you where you feel comfortable enough not to listen to me. And if I did not demonstrate that part of it uh, just now, because I really focus when I'm ironing. I don't know if you could picture me. And I like, and also, even though stain's been on there for a while, I still debated: should I iron over the stain or not? Like, like I could hear my mother. Well, that's gonna. And I said, uh, I don't know if, it, like, uh, like I said, I'm in an acceptance stage. It's inevitable. So anyway, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you, 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 long-term listeners are so acceptance that I could uh, share this with you. This uh, celebratory day. I gained my tweendom, but really I'm glad I'm here to share with you, share the time, share this safe place uh, to welcome you in, because it would really be my honor to keep you company, to take your mind off of stuff uh, so that you could get to some sleep, because you really do deserve it. So I'm glad you're here. I work very hard. I hope and I yearn to help you fall asleep. Thanks for coming by. All right, hey, everybody, it's time for our... Uh, or modular, modular series, which is a bit like an episodic series, but, but um, and it's a bit, but it has a taste of cereal in it, uh, not a taste of breakfast cereal. I guess it's mostly episodic, but you like, you, like you can enjoy it in episode because it's modular. I think that's what I decided to call it, uh, consisting of modules just like learning modules because it's based on like uh, observe like uh, stories about learning so it can be consumed in modules in ep- episodic format i don't think it'll be lost it's called it's a it's our season three of after the glass slipper which originally was a tale of what happened to cinderella after she became you know the glass slipper stuff but really it's really the tale about her uh stepmother agatha who I find endlessly interesting, and her adventures as a uh, stepmother learning to grapple with life, just like we all are. 
And so there was two seasons of that, and it, like, and she like it, just in case the, the short version is, at some point last season, she became a pit of lentils, P-I-T of lentils, L-E-N-T-I-L-S or whatever. Uh, it pretty much like picture a swimming pool full of lentils that is uh, sentient, and that's what she is. Uh, that's her form of existence, and it was due to some some sort of self sacrifice that I can't quite remember. So that, that's uh, that's basically it. Now she's a teacher. Oh, this, so this modular season, she's teaching a course uh, about kind of the uh, mythology, heroes in um, in villains of uh, the fairy kingdom. Because you know, remember the fairy godmother. Also, in the two seasons, there's a bunch of stuff with fairy god people. Actually, they're just fairy persons, but you know, that's like their. Uh, uh, like, uh, I don't know, like, whatever, not important. It's just, those are just words. So she's teaching it with a fairy person who, who who's co-teaching the class, uh, who, who, uh, like, they're, like, they're not exactly, they didn't seem like they're getting that great along together, but this is only the second class. And so we'll see how it goes. Uh, but it's like after glass slipper and, uh, you're in for just sleepy treats, uh, Right on time, five minutes late. If that's on time, I guess it is in Los Angeles. Oh, my friend, uh, do you have a big Okay, just just go and then you can ask me for whatever you need for driving up here. Thanks, Aunt. Oh, by the way, I'm trying to be a nicer person. Antonio, so good to see you. Thank you so much for driving up here to record 30. Oh, do you go? You put me off uh, kilter with your kindness. Is a lady, this is a gentleman. Is a boy, is a girl, is a friend's beyond the binary. East time. Air four. After. Ziggler's slipper. Season three. Yeah. Oh, that was the, that was pretty good. It, like, uh, we'll see, I have to see how punchy it is. I might have to depunch it on the, uh, okay. Could I, could, could, could I, uh, I'd like to eat dinner with you now that you okay that's great uh maybe later because i got to record the rest of the episode but if you want to sit in my kitchen and wait for me for an hour and a half uh maybe oh okay okay after glass supper thanks everybody oh hello my letterman it is i am returning to you he's easy letterman are you sleeping with the baby next to you well, I'll still tell you about my second day in class. Uh, what an exciting day. I've learned new things, man. And I'm just excited to get to I'm so excited I don't know if I'll remember everything. But this was a day the, for, for the second day of class, and we had asked uh, to, uh, two of the young people, Carlo and Zenaida, to do to do a research where they interviewed someone to get one of the fairy myths of heroes or heroines or villains, and uh, you know this uh, the, the, my other teacher uh, Shelley she she had spoken to me and she actually she said something to the board or some whatever the trustees, uh, which he can't stop the class, but so oh this is so Zenaida and Carlo. They interviewed an older gentleman 
who sits and feeds the birds, a fa- fairy godfather, I believe he he once was. And did he, did he tell them a story that I was not familiar with, and it was so rich to let a man... I'll just get in bed here beside you and lie here on my back so comfortable. As the afternoon light comes in through the window, oh, I can just see the, uh, whatever the dust of the room. So relaxing in this warmth lying. And I've always wondered who makes these beds, uh, because there's nothing like taking a nap on a bed. A made bed in the afternoon, let a man. You are a smart man. That must be why I love you so. But this is the tale of, well, this is a tale of many characters. It's, I would say it is the story of Binella. Binella or Bianella. We were debating this. Uh, or, you know, there's, everything has to end in queen or princess or whatever. whatever the great bee. Now, she was the daughter of the great gray goose, uh, and these are fa- this is a fairy, a fairy tale. I don't know, it's not a fairy tale, uh, but Binella, she, she was the daughter of the great gray goose, uh, who, very similar, as we discussed in class, is similar to like a Mother Earth figure for us uh, humans, but a little bit different, and the great gray goose does not take any guff, uh, like much like real gooses do not take any guff. Uh, and so similar to, like, uh, I don't know, I, I wasn't paying attention because it was so exciting. Now, Bianella, picture of a woman and that is also a bee, uh, or a bee queen, but not a queen bee. That's different. Uh, or, or she was just she was the type of person, uh, which was interesting with Zenaida because she was talking about running through flowers. Uh, the, this Bianella, she was the queen of flowers. She was the one who would sing to the bees, and then they would like help pollinate the flowers, and she would sing. She was a goddess of the the growth of of, of all earthly things. And she would love to, to do those things and to see. And, of course, the great great goose, she was the lay of eggs, but also it was, that was more of a metaphorical, I don't know, even with these children. And then they wanted to debate, uh, I, I don't know, I get mixed up. What is, what, what is belief and what is a symbol? But picture the great gray goose as a doting mother and Binella as her daughter. But don't try to make too much sense of it. Because uh, even I in class, I said, hmm, a goose is the daughters of a woman, but she's also a bee. I made that noise. And I think then uh, my my co-teacher, she tried to say, well, there's a, a tales of the vanilla, of the great great goose, you know, loving an earthbound human or a fairy godparent and all the, but then this is the proto-myth, I think, that she said for fairy godparents. But so picture this vanilla, black and yellow and gold striped, you know, just just like that dancing through the fields, laying with the grubs and those such things. So that is one image in your mind, dancing and singing. 
Oh, the lightness and the youth and the spirits and the, uh, the, 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 the things that could stir. And it stirred something in the clam. And it's just the clam. Some people would say the giant clam, but this person was telling the tale. And Carlo and Zenaida were retelling the tale, and now again I'm telling it after we were debating things. Uh, but we'll just say the clam. Oh, the clam king, but, but, but uh, the clam. And the clam uh, lived a deep, deep, it was a king, so it was the clam king. Which is, it would be easier to follow the story. But deep within the sea was the clam king's kingdom. And the clam king lived there, not just in the depths of the sea, but in the depths of the depths of the sea. Because below the sea there are great canyons, uh, just like the canyons some people travel to, where water runs through it. These are filled with water and deep and deep and deep within the bottom of the sea. And that is where the clam king uh, lives. But the clam king at some points. It does like to come and visit, and a Clam King made made its way up the river, and I guess the Clam King would climb up on a rock and watch Binella singing and talking to all the fruits, and I don't know if she spent a lot of time with vegetables. I would assume so, but the bees, you know, they take care of the pollination. I think that's where she gets the Binella from. And the, that is like a loving process, if you think about it, but also, you know, interconnectedness. We, we, these were things we covered in our discussion parts of the class. And without this natural activity, you know, the bees depend on the flowers and the flowers depend on the bees. And so the Clam King would watch Binella. And of course, the Clam King was struck by her beauty and her joy and the lightness which was she dealt with the world, and also the flowering and the, the blooming, both up with Bianella and the flowers, you know. And then one day Bianella was out in the fields, uh, helping the flowers bloom, encouraging the bees, when there was a great gurgling sound. And then out of the river came the Clam King uh, on a chariot drawn by seahorses. And at first, it, like me and Ella was surprised, but she, she was very kind and open. She said, oh, who are you? And the Clam King said, I'm the Clam. I'm pleased to meet you. And I live in the depths of the sea. And me and Ella said, oh, I've never been to the sea. I've looked at the sea. You know, salt water, like they talked about, that was another argument we had, was it? it's not good for fertilization. But water that falls from the sky comes from the sea, but it doesn't have as much salt in it, apparently. But so the clam said, it was making salt. Oh, who are you? She said, oh, I'm Bianella. He said, Bianella, oh, what a lovely name. You were singing to the bees and dancing with them. She said, oh, yes, the bees are my friends, and the grubs are my friends, and the ants are my friends. And the, bee, the clam, clam said, oh, must make them so happy hearing you sing, and how you touch the flowers, and, and it feels like light falls off you onto the flowers. She says, I do encourage the light, you know, she said, you know, they were talking, small talk, and the beauty of flowers— 
And the Clam King said, well, I must get back to the sea. Then the Clam King said, have you ever seen the corals? Uh, and Benelli said, oh, no, I've not. Uh, and he said, have you heard of the reefs? Uh, have you heard the beauty of the reefs and the enemies, uh, the enemies and enemies, I think? Uh, those are the flowers of the sea. And Bianel said, oh, no, I've never, and the clams started to tell, like little clams live there in the beds or something. Uh, and then he said, well, would you like to see that? It's so lovely, and uh, it's on the way, and then you could maybe come for supper to my kingdom beyond the reefs in the depths of the sea. And Bienel said, well, it sounds lovely, but I can't go beneath the sea, for I breathe the air of, I can't remember the name of the air god, but the gifted air that, you know, I cannot breathe under the sea. That's what Mother always told me uh, when I said, what is beneath that water? The fish are those are the grubs of the water. But Bianella said, oh, like, could I see you? And then the Kalam said, well, that'd be tough to see them from the chariots, uh, and then he said, oh, alas, you won't be able to see the wonderful anemones. Uh, and Bianella loved words, too. She said, anemones, uh, corals. Uh, and uh, you talked about kelp and kelpolina, one of the, the goddess of the, uh, the in, you know, the close to the shores, or the, whatever, the shallow areas. She's sister to, to the clam. My sister Kilpalina may be there. And then the clam said, oh, I forgot Kilpalina had given me this. And then he said, no, never mind. It was a pleasure meeting you, Benella, and I'll be back in the depths of the sea and enjoying seeing the anemones. I give them your best, uh, and you give your best to the beautiful bees and the flowers. Uh, and Bianella said, oh, that's so sad that I won't be able to ever, she doesn't even know, and then, uh, what was the idea you were going to say? And Clam uh, said, well, I have this gilberry, I forgot my sister told me about it, and I have some here in my pouch, uh, it's a gilberry, it's something you eat, and then it gives you gills, uh. So you would be able to breathe under the sea if you ate the gilberry. And Bianel said, oh, well, the gilberry, so then I would be able to go under the sea with you and see the uh, the anemones and, and uh, well, what, what, let me take it, let me try, what does it taste like? And then the clam, not, you know, not being a terrible clam king, said, well, it takes a little time for it to wear off once you take it, Bianella. And she said, well, how long? He said, well, just a little bit of time uh, once you've eaten the gilberry. And so you'd have to be my guest at my kingdom under the sea, which would be lovely. I'm sure everyone, you could sing... You could dance, you could ride a seahorse down there. And she said, give me the gilberry. I cannot wait to try this gilberry. And then she ate up the gilberry, and she climbed in the chariot, and they f flew into the sea. And she could breathe under the sea with the gills, and they s s swam and, and took the chariot through the great coral reefs, uh, 
and they saw Fiabinella could not believe the beauty of the reefs. And they met Kelpalina for, 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 for a meal, and she said to her brother, What are you doing? Is this the daughter of the great gray goose? Oh, dear. Uh, but she was also a wonderful host, and Bianella was just so excited of all the parallels but differences between the, under the sea and on the land, and how the fish were like the birds of the sea, but yet they were different, and how the different things, and even learning, her mind was blown by the phytoplankton. And she said, could there be phytoplankton just floating in the air? This is so, whoa, phytoplankton. She said, what's a dog's uh, favorite plant? Uh, Phytoplankton. And Kelpalina laughed politely, and... The clam laughed heartily, truly more in love be Nella than ever. And they spent some more time at the reef, and then they went to the next level of the sea. And then the clam said, it's time to head down to my kingdom. And you should know that it's at the deepest part of the sea, so it's shrouded in darkness. Uh, and B and Ella said, oh... What do you mean? And, and uh, Clam said, there's no light down there. So you, we'll, we'll, I'll show you by touch, and but you'll, you'll be able to hear me. And it will be, my kingdom is a very wonderful place. There's just no light, and it's a bit cold. And so they headed down there. And being a last, and, and the, uh, Clam said, well, we can't really return to your home because you have gills now. And so you have to stay with me. And also you said you would come. And Vianella being as kind, you know, she was torn. She wanted to be a good guest, but she really didn't want to live in cold darkness. And so they headed to the kingdom. And at first it was a time for her to adjust, uh, not being able to see anything and also living underwater. But that was like she, she was a quick learner. But learning by touch, and the clam kick did teach her many things, and she realized all the ridges of the clam, and he taught her how to read clam ridges, and that was exciting. And she learned to play games with only her sights, and she could still smell, and she could sense uh, this other thing, uh, which clam just called sea sense. And time became stretched out down there, shrouded in darkness. Vinella found herself missing home, but at the same time enchanted. And then one night, uh, she said something uh, to the clam about how lovely his shell was. And he smiled for the first time. And even in the depths of the darkest depths of the sea... She saw the iridescence within the Clam King's shell, and it lit her up uh, both internally and externally. But while she still longed for home, she said, This gives me an idea for your kingdom. Oh, Clam King. And she began to venture out and meet the fish and the creatures under the sea and sing to them as she sang to the bees. Now, meanwhile, back at uh, like uh, back on land, uh, the gray goose, the great gray goose, had come to find her daughter, 
And she found the bees scattered around and not knowing what they were doing and some of the flowers wilting. And she looked around and she couldn't find Bianella and she called to her. And then she called to the birds. And the birds told her of the tale of how Bianella went away with the clam and the great, great, great goose. She, uh, she was very upset and she promised to make the sea pay and she called the Kelpolina. And she said, you expect trouble over all of my kingdom. And then she yelled at the other gods uh, and said, you know, nothing will grow while my daughter is beneath the sea. And everyone said, well, she's way down there in the clam kingdom. There's no way to get a hold. Kalpalina said, I can't go down there. There's pressure in this darkness. Uh, there's no way to get a message that deep. Uh, You'll just have to wait till the Clam King returns with her. And she said, well, how did it? And then she said, well, those uh, a couple, a couple hundred years is how long the, uh, the Gilberries take. Uh, and the Gary Grey Goose said, this is unacceptable. But she started in, in watching the whole time. This is, I cannot believe these things I was learning in Letterman. So exciting was atmosphere and I don't know, atmosphere, he's a, I guess a she, you could say, or a they, who envelops the entire world in a loving grasp. Atmosphere is a protective of God, Leia, keeping us all, we, that's how we don't fall into space, apparently. I did not know these things. Oh, no, it had a way to think about it. Oh, it's exciting. But atmosphere is a lovely, lovely, loving. And she heard a great, great goose. And uh, as a mother and a true mother-ish, kind of said, Oh, I see you're so angry. And I guess it's time uh, for, for, for me to ha find a way to help and and then she told a tale, which I guess I don't have a ton of time, let a man, to tell you, because the, the children, they didn't really know a whole thing about it. But she told a tale. Oh, what was it about? I guess at one point, before Atmosphere was fully protecting the Earth, uh, she, we, we, the, there was a battle with another god called Stroid. And Stroid would, it, like, uh, hurl rocks or... Well, maybe it's rocks were coming to the earth. I wasn't I totally, I was distracted by the whole idea of being embraced by atmosphere. But Stroid, even when atmosphere gained more and more power, she would try to stop Stroid's rocks from coming in. And she said, what do you want? Like, just stay in space with your space stuff and I will keep this planet safe. And Stroid said, I have space stuff that needs somewhere to live. And, and they made a deal. Because Emissary said, I will let nothing in. And they, they had a child together, or an egg together, but very bird-like as well. And Emissary opened just enough uh, that a Stroid could send this egg across the space and into and past Emissary's embrace. And she gave it an eternal warmth uh, that on that day, I guess long ago, the first fairies, uh, or the people that would become them, could see this fire streaking across the sky. 
and the egg was planted deep in the earth, and the hemisphere said, today's the day. And she sent the great gray goose to go sit on the egg, and it was a rabbit's, and on the outside it was gnarled and rocky, and the great gray goose went and sat on this egg, and this was the proto-fairy within the egg, the child of space and earth or something, and it cracked open, but it had been maturing, you know, much like, not like a human, like some other, like a bird or something, but even more. In this first, uh, born out of this rock egg, was the wanderer. You didn't know the fairy god. This was the first fairy, and this is one of the greatest gods of the fairy kingdom. I, I, I'd heard these things, but I didn't understand. I said, uh, you praise a god that just wanders around? Oh. But now it makes so much more sense, and the wanderer had been watching the whole time through magic within the egg, and seeing things go and learning, and the wanderer's purpose uh, was just to help her. And so it came out and it said, Oh, how can I help you? I know you seem sad. And then the great-great goose, she told about her her daughter, Bianella, and the clam, and, the, you know, the, the, her daughter was taken away. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I'm missing about, uh, I don't know. But this, So this was the first fairy godparent assignment, I guess. Uh, so the wanderer said, okay, I will try to help fix this. So the wanderer prepared to head off. Now, meanwhile, deep beneath the sea, Bianella, she still was sad inside and missing her mother in her bees and wondering how her flowers were doing. But also she was keeping that tightly packaged in her mind and letting time drift in the darkness of the sea. But she was also changing things. You see, it was very lonely, not just for the Clam King, but for all the other creatures deep within this kingdom. And as Bianella went around and socialized, she started to find ways to bring light down there, giving some fish, little lights to fish with, and then painting iridescent paint on other fish that would glow under certain conditions. She was like a scientist down there, and she still brought a song, and then she tried, she said, I cannot find a way even with to have phytoplankton down here, but I crave a triggering growth, and then she found... These vents, and she said she found the Tyria, and she taught them to live in the vent and to, to make communities in the vent. And she found all these, like, all these magical, magical uh, things that were already down there, members of the Clam King's kingdom. And she brought lightness to light to them, even if it wasn't just, uh, you know, by sight, but just by her song and her touch. And so everyone was so happy deep within this kingdom. It was so magical. But the Clam King was torn, for the Clam King knew that at some point a bill would come due for taking, uh, you know, for just not asking. The Clam King had low esteem, you know, living in the darkness down there and thought that uh, Bianella would never love him. But Bianella had fallen in love with both the Clam King and the kingdom. 
And I said, uh, like, I had, I interrupted. I said, no. I, I said, uh, like, uh, and, uh, you know, my co-teacher reminded me this is a myth. Uh, I said, this is an unacceptable myth. She will not learn to love it, you know. And uh, so then it actually she, we said, okay, point of order here. He's not okay. You know, this is not an exemplary behavior by the Clam King. And then actually Carlo pretended he was a Clam King, and we had a little aside where we said, Clam King, this is not how you find love by taking Bianella and tricking her to take a gilberry and then keeping her down there until she says, well, the Clam King's pretty darn You're good enough, Clam King. But the Clam King, in reality, was down there and saying, well, someday someone's going to come and take Bianella back. So the Clam King was trying to enjoy it and trying to accept Bianella's love, but also worried. And it was just stressful doing some clam chattering, I'm sure. That wasn't great for his iridescence. And so then, uh, finally, uh, the Wanderer found the way, and the Clam King could sense the Wanderer coming. And the Wanderer first just observed from afar and saw how happy Bianella had brought the lightness to the great depths of the kingdom, and how this new stage of growth was happening at the vents, and with these better fishing abilities and better ability to wander around, and uh, just discovering all these magic creatures that live down there. And she sensed the Clam King, learning to love the Clam King, and learning to say, like, uh, say that probably wasn't a great idea. She could sense all that, so the Wanderer could sense those things. But the Wanderer was also stumped for the first time, having to help in reality, even though absorbing, having the countless and timeless powers of space and the everlasting embracing love of atmosphere and even the essence of the great gray goose um, mothering her along at the last stages uh, the wanderer was stumped on how to ha- how to fix this situation how am i going to make it better we have uh, everyone's happy so if i just take uh, bnl back also the reality is that bnl now has lungs and those lungs will be there for a time and i don't know what to do and also all this growth and stimulation in the deep sea is good for everybody uh, the wanderer posited and so the wanderer thought, what can I do? I uh, can't make everybody happy, uh, but I need to a great, great goose is home. And, the, and the, so then the wanderer went and saw the clam king and Bianella eating. And the clam king said, are you here from the surface? And the wanderer said, I am. I'm here to help, though. And BNL said, You're from the surface with my mother. And the Clancy, the wanderer said, Yes, your mother misses you greatly, Bianella. And that was like a wave crashing over Bianella. She said, Oh, and my bees and my flowers are there. And they, she, the wanderer said, They miss you. And then the clam king could see it in uh, Bianella's face because they had some of the fish nearby that lit everything up. And uh, the clam king said, Oh, Bianella. 
I, I, I didn't mean for you to just lose time down here, but I do love you so, and all the creatures love you so, but I could see your love for the surface in your face. Oh, what should we do? And Vianella held her clam king, and she thought she would, like, you know, try to leave forever and just forget the whole thing, forget the depths of the sea. But the wanderer knew, you know, that would break the heart of all of the beings of the deep sea. That wouldn't be good for anybody. You know, people in the deep sea have hearts too, the wanderer knew. That is the wisdom across time and space of the wanderer, I guess. Wiser than even I, a pit of lentils. I guess the letterman can't hear me as I go on. Don't worry, letterman. My love for you is limited by Earth, though, so uh, it's not boundless. But the Wanderer said, hmm, is it Vianella, what is your favorite memories of being up on the surface world? And Vianella said, oh, this, you know, spring and summer, and, you know, and then saying goodbye in the autumn. And she she admitted that she's not a big fan of winter or late fall. And then the wanderer said, Now, down here, are there any seasons, Clam King? And the Clam King said, Only one, eternal darkness, and until she came. And now it's mostly eternal darkness. But, you know, with some lady, lady light fish and... You know, we do have, like, different... We have the great venting ceremonies, uh... Uh, so it's every day is like a birthday when Bianella is down here. And the, the wanderer even laughed at that, uh, because you, because, uh, the wanderer wanted to lighten the mood. And the wanderer said, well, 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 I think we could take you up to the surface for spring and summer. And then in autumn, you could come back down here now, Bianella, and live with your friends in the deep sea. And Bianella said, oh, I would like that. Uh, would you visit me in the spring and the summer, Clam King? And the Clam King said, well, maybe I'll just hibernate, you know, because I miss you so. But I want you to go to your bees. And, you know, and then the wanderer said, well, there's only one problem. You know, the power of those gillberries is... Uh, I don't know what to do about that. And the wanderer already knew that it would be many, many years before the gilberry would wear off. And and even the clam king you know, felt a little bit bad. And I said, what to do? And then the, the, the Biennale said, well, what about some of those friends that we've seen when we were with Kelpelina? They could live both in the sea and on the land. And they, they breathed both, like, uh, and then they, they, they claim, he said, you're right, you're right, like a, an amphibian, Phibian, they said, I think. Uh, and they said, call Phibius, uh, see if there's a Phibius. And then they, uh, the wanderer went across the sea. This part, you know, not important, but it was a long journey. He met with Phibius, uh, a, you know, demigod or some such thing. You get some sort of uh, drops of Phibius or something, brought it back to Vianella, 
it turned, it gave her the power of Phibians, uh, which I guess you breathe in water and on land. Ma why doesn't everybody have that, I'd say? And then Bianella was able to return to her mother and live part of the year with her mother and the bees and the creatures and uh, part of it uh, deep within the sea. And as Shelley and the students pointed out, it corresponds with our seasons here of winter, spring, summer, fall. And it also, it, it, there's a lot of things this explains. It explains why do fairies have magical powers and humans do not. Uh, and that's always something humans needed to know and answer to. Uh, though I don't know if, if from outer space is an answer the humans would like to hear. You know, the humans that are like, hey, we don't know. That we've dealt with the distrust fairies. Uh, that it became from the god or, god or space god destroyed. Yeah, but the, those powers are explained there. And, and like uh, the birth. And I'm sure that Shelley did say there's other... Uh, fairy godparent birthing myths and uh, again a proto I said a proto I said I read a book with a pro, fro oh, that was a Frodo not a proto uh, and it's uh, so that was one myth and then there was uh, like a, also Shelley wanted everyone to know that there's a lot of these myths uh, that again the history uh, is not always neat and tidy of uh Upselling Bianella's youth and beauty, and then the Clam King going after that. That, that this, uh, there is a, you know, some things about procreation in there, but there's also some things that say, well, the, like, these are what we value. Uh, uh, people that sing to beautiful people that sing to flowers. That's what Shelley said. In the class, it did not make a sound at that one. And I said, well, you know, I'm not exactly the most beautiful person, Shelley, but I do love a beautiful person singing to flowers. Uh, the class giggled, and Shelley glad. And I said, Shelley, you are beautiful. She said, moving on. Uh, so that was interesting. Also, I brought up it, uh, like, because uh, I know, she, like, I said, well, th these myths are always confusing to me, too. Like, this is a goose uh, whose daughters would be, you know, I said that at the beginning, and uh, I said that I love atmospheric. That may be my favorite god person. But I said atmospheric was uh, procreating with a destroyed. I don't understand the mechanics of that, Shelley. And uh, the student said, What is the mechanics of procreation? And I said, Who is going to take next week's assignments? And it was if soon, and uh, Liam who decided to take it. So that was if soon and Liam, they volunteered and helped me change the subject. I wonder what other things we were discussing in class. Uh, uh, I mean, this is important things. We said, children, will this think about, oh, the depths of the sea and the being forgotten and that there's life in darkness, and that there are the myths with the Clam King, or the Clam. You know, also this idea that, uh, like, uh, that we implant in these children's minds, which I said is not fair. So hopefully by discussing it, I told the children we could overcome it, that if you're playing in a field, you know, having a good time, that's all our dream, isn't it, Shelley? I said, you know, just 
relaxed and dancing. You know, at some point I was like that, I believe, and then I became obsessed with uh, being like in control and being royal. But at one point I was the type of girl that could dance in a field too, I think, uh, maybe once or twice. But they, that if you do that, that some horse, or some crazy clam king is going to come and try to play you as a fool. And that uh, that's wise being Nella naive. That's what we did. We didn't even come to conclusions about some of these great questions that came up. Uh, like, who does you know? Isn't should should the clam king be rewarded for bad behavior? Is it a myth, or is this some sort of? lesson that our society's reinforcing and the other thing that the, the fairies the, the fairy energy uh, and i'm not talking about from space uh, that they could see in shelley's face and the other children's face of how can they help uh, this is my mission as a wanderer to wander and to repair and to find consensus of like decisions instead of how i deal with things this is the right way i'm right uh do it my way. Uh, this is my me asserting my will. That is not how the uh, wanderer solves problems, much like uh, the, some of the fairy codes that they used to follow uh, before, you know, we usurped the kingdoms or whatever, such things. Uh, so, we, like, very, I, I, you know, my ignorance, let a man, you know, it is steeped in uh, ignorance, uh, and then astute in it afterwards. So I feel like I've learned a little bit. Uh, and it is complicated, this myth thing. In heroines and heroes, and who was the antagonist? Uh, you know, was it just loneliness uh, that was the antagonist? I don't know. But I don't know how I, you know, let a man I know I have you to sleep with and fall, be sound asleep when I'm trying to talk and tell you about my day. It was important to me how much I learned. And I know you probably are pretending to sleep or sound asleep listening to me. But I can tell you that the idea that atmosphere is surrounding and embracing all of us. And that she really is or they really are. I'll never feel lonely again, let a man. Because it is also true whether or not you projected the meaning of the God onto it. And we're sharing the atmosphere between all of us breathing. Or, you know, if you have gills gilling around or whatever the heck they do, or if you're like a Phibian or whatever. Embraced forever by atmosphere, all of us. Oh, how wonderful. Well, I'm going to get some rest now, too, with my little man. Snuggle right up with him. Good, uh, good, uh, good nap time, night.